This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Me and Coach Gruden go back like seven years or eight years, and uh, we, we get along great. And I, I had a good understanding for, for the offense that he runs and uh, a good feel for it. I, I was in the same city for seven years, but we had probably five, four or five different offensive coordinators. So, you know, learning a new offense can be challenging at times. You know, you feel like you're never going to get it. And then eventually over over time and all the reps, it, it clicks. But just uh, having that familiarity with the offense is really nice. That is New Jaguars tight end Tyler Eifert. A familiar offense if he goes way back in his mind and his books uh, oh, yeah. when he was in Cincinnati with Jay Gruden and, of course, Andy Dalton. He was a young player at that time, but uh, came on and, and obviously had some really good seasons. It's the injury bug for Tyler Eifert that you worry about, but you do like the marriage between Eifert and Jay Gruden mixed in with a team that's kind of trying to learn this offense. At least there's some familiarity, especially in the tight end room where the Jaguars could use a whole lot of help. How much of an impact do you think Eifert makes? I know we have to assume health. So every time you say something about him, well, let's assume <laughs> yeah. health. I mean, let's assume whatever health means. I mean, maybe it's 12 games. Okay, I'm, I won't give him all 16. I know that's a little. But I also don't want to assume a guy's going to get hurt. You well, know, I, I mean, that's, that's not the right mentality. I think that's yeah. a bad way to think. The Jags aren't thinking that way. Mm. A lot goes wrong when guys get hurt. If your quarterback goes down, if you lose a big pass rusher, if you lose your running back, you lose your top wide out, things change. I mean, if you lose your left tackle, any team is impacted by that. Mm. So what kind of impact can Tyler Eifert have on this team that even if he got hurt, it would severely impact their game planning and production? Yeah, I mean, when you're talking Tyler Eifert, number one, you're talking about a red zone threat that the Jaguars just didn't have last year. Okay, Josh Oliver goes down with an injury. Um, you know, the, Jeff Swaim didn't really, I think Jeff Swaim got hurt halfway during the season. You just, you didn't have that big bodied, um, red zone target. Now, you had Chris Conley, who has like a 47 inch vertical, um, but you didn't use him in the red zone. Once again, that my call, John D. Filippo's not here anymore, so it is what it is there. You know how I feel about it. I always go on a rant about it. It is what it is. But when you're talking about Tyler Reifert, though, yeah, it's that red zone threat to me, which is the biggest thing, right? Because Gruen in the past, he's used guys like Vernon Davis. He's, he's used guys, uh, like Jordan Reed, you know, when, when he's healthy, obviously. So he is accustomed to having that big body, athletic tight end down the middle that can go up and get the ball. Now, Tyler Eifert can be that guy when he's healthy, but once again, the big question mark, can he stay healthy? Also, and we've kind of heard a couple opinions about it, I think that he's a pretty decent run blocker, okay? And that's going to help out things, too, as well, where if you need a max protection protection kind of look for Gardner Minshew, he'll be able to do that. If you're trying to pound the rock on that fourth and one goal line kind of set, he can help you with that. So, to me, this guy is versatile. He's a red zone threat, obviously a pretty dang good receiver. And when you talk about a second-year quarterback with Gardner Minshew, you need those safety blankets, and I think Tyler Eifert can be that guy. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, he can be that guy. Uh, let's just briefly go through some of his best years, okay? In 13, he had 39 catches, 445 yards, couple of touchdowns. Obviously, in 15, it was his breakout season. 52 catches, 600 yards. I'm throwing a lot of numbers at you, but 13 touchdowns. You talk about red zone. 13 of his 52 catches. If I do my quick math, that's one out of every four receptions is Nailed a touchdown. It. Mm-hmm. 29 catches and 394 yards in only eight games uh, and five scores in 2016. And again, even with his great year of 15, he he only played 13 games. 
But he's never played a 16-game season until last year. Played 15 in his uh, rookie season and played 16 last year. Now, keep in mind, he was used sparingly last year, though, too. 43 catches, 436 yards, and three touchdowns uh, for a Cincinnati team that obviously struggled on a lot of levels anyway uh, during the course of the season. So what kind of projections, if he plays 15, 16 games, can he have? Would you sign up for that? Would he sign up for 43 catches, 400 and something yards? That's 10 yards a pop uh, and somewhere between three and six touchdowns. Is that enough? You know what? Honestly, I really don't care about the yardage, um, even the receptions. Gruden's going to spread the ball around. That's what Gruden does. One game, DJ Chark's going to have 10 catches, 150 yards. The next game, D.D. Westbrook's going to get utilized and have 10 catches. Like, Gruden spreads the ball around. So I'm not looking for necessarily so many grabs from Tyler Eifert. All I'm looking for is when you're in, you know, the, your opponent's 20-yard line and in towards the end zone, I'm looking for that guy that can go up and get the ball. But see, here, I'm looking for a little more. And this is why I'm looking for a little more. To my... Not expert I, mm-hmm. and I think others have followed suit on this unless they're just listening to me and believe me that much. That's, but a, that's a mistake. That should be a really bad idea for them. But, but I don't think I'm wrong here. If you would give me the one weakness spot of Gardner Minshew last year, and if you said this is his weakness, for not even the fumbles, I won't even say. I'll say this is where he has to be better because if he's not better, it's easy to defend him. It's easy to game plan against him. And I would say right between the hashes, man. I would say the hashes in the middle of that field. And and I think he didn't utilize that area of the field enough. How much of that was he was concerned to do that? How much of that was a vision thing? Maybe a... Uh, getting acclimated to the NFL thing, or how much of that was a personnel thing where the Jaguars didn't have these safety blankets where you think a tight end would fit, right? Yep. Is right over that middle. That's So when you say Tyler Eifert to me, when you give me Josh Oliver if he's healthy, and I understand, again, we're talking healthy guys, but for the sake of this conversation on a Thursday in May, we're going to assume health for these guys. This is what the Jags are planning for. And quite frankly, they have to have guys healthy if they want to do well. They don't have a ton of depth at all these different spots. But when you say Eifert and Oliver in that tight end position, I, I respect the, the, the red zone stuff. I agree. I mean, you need some red zone threats, and I think they'll have that. I hope Colin Johnson, the young man from Texas, brings a little bit of that, too, with his six foot six frame. But I think the middle of the field. I think third and five middle of the field, and that's not only a first down, but that's a 24-yard play. You know, that's where you pick up chunks of yardage. And then we'll find out if Minshew can hit that play. You know, but you've got to have weapons on that side of the field. I think that is the place where Eifert, because of his veteran experience, Oliver, because of his skill set, can really make a difference from last year to this year in Gardner Minshew's game, meaning the offense's game, too. Well, uh, but when you're talking about the middle of the field, though, like I can make an argument and say, well, D.D. Westbrook should have been that guy last year, okay? Because you really didn't have that tight end presence. If you put a guy in the slot, the guy in the slot's job is to get to the middle of the field and have a mismatch, you know, on the nickel corner. We didn't see that last year, okay? So, like, the, the, the middle of the field was really non-existent. Now, was that from Gardner Minshew not seeing the guys get open? Was that from John D. Felipe not really calling the right plays? We're, we were just so accustomed to seeing Gardner Minshew attack the hashes in the sidelines with guys like DJ Chark, yeah. with guys like Chris Conley. And guess what? It worked out pretty well. So He did I, a good job of it. He did a great job of that. But, so... 
I'm not sure exactly how much of a change it's going to offer with Tyler Eifert. Obviously, when you talk about, you know, the, the middle of the field, I'm worried about the, the safety blanket, okay? Because if you look at guys like Lamar Jackson, if you look at guys like Patrick Mahomes, if you look at guys, I'm trying to think of some other quarterbacks who've come up, um, maybe even like Russell Wilson back in the day when he was like going to his second year, even guys like uh, Dak Prescott, you know, when, when he had Jason Witten. They, they've all had dependable tight ends, okay? Because at the end of the day, whether it was Lamar Jackson, he had Andrews, he had Hayden Hurst, um, he had Boyle, he had Max Williams. I mean, the guy had a slew of tight ends. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes, he had Travis Kelsey, um, Carson Wentz, you know, going into second year. He had Carson Wentz. Uh, sorry, Carson Wentz he had uh, Zach Ertz. Ertz. Sorry, yeah. Thank you. So... That's one thing they all have in common is that 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 is the safety blanket. When the pocket collapses, when things start to break down a little bit, and all of a sudden you, you kind of go off the the seat of your pants, the tight end's supposed to always be there, okay? Either the tight end or the running back. And last year you didn't have the tight end, so this year I think Tyler Everett can be that security blanket when stuff does start breaking down. Sure, go ahead and flip in the ball and see what happens. But once again, I'm going back to the point of I want the red zone target, and if it breaks down, then sure, put Eifert in the mix as well. Yeah, and, and again, I, I don't dismiss the red zone. You have to have more weapons in the red zone. You have to be more dynamic in the red zone. I thought the play calling in the red zone was atrocious last year on so many levels. I can remember those conversations. It sticks out to me. But I also remember the middle of the field being pretty much non-existent for the Jasville Jaguars. And, you know, sometimes that it could be even be like these middle screens, you know, yeah. <laughs> whether that dangerous screenplay, right? Again, yeah. the Jags run a screenplay. But I do think in that conversation has been this lack of tight ends. And what we say is lack of tight end production. I don't know how much you have to really put on Minshew. I don't think we've got a full answer on that because most of the time, if it is a weakness, I don't think coaches and the player are going to tell you it's a weakness. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you from an offensive perspective, I thought it was a weakness last year, whoever's fault it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what, in your opinion, why would a quarterback shy away from the middle? I is mean, it, is it that much more? I mean, is it just obvious? It's a danger zone. There's a lot of stuff that can happen in there. I mean, yeah, but there's a few things, right? Where in the middle of the field, especially when you're talking about zone coverage, I mean, there are chances, there are opportunities for turnovers a lot more than the sidelines. Anytime you throw a ball to the sideline, that's a pretty safe throw. Yeah. Um, obviously, if you throw it long. Now, if you throw it short, you have an issue there. But even but, if the ball gets tipped, it could yeah. go out of bounds. Ball gets tipped in the middle, there's six players that could get it. Yeah. So, in terms of risk and reward, um, you know, those sideline throws are going to pay off a lot more than those middle-of-the-field throws. Um, so that's one reason. Another reason, and I saw this happen with Peyton Manning when Austin Collie got knocked out, is sometimes guys get injured. Sure. You know, like sometimes you guy, you lead guys into double coverage. You lead, you lead guys when you don't see the linebacker coming across the field, and boom, and all of a sudden that guy's out on his feet, right? And it's your fault because you let him there. Maybe he hangs out on the ball, maybe he doesn't, but that's not the point. Whether he caught the ball or not, it was your fault, and you got him hurt. And that's uh, that's a tough pill to swallow if you're a quarterback. So you have to mind that as well. So I think in terms of the risk and reward, I think in terms of you know the injury probability, um, throws to the outside of the field are always going to be the safer bet. Is it's, some, it's funny. We've talked a lot of stuff on the Jags over 12 years and a lot that has gone wrong. I don't really remember this conversation as much, though, and at least being as prominent in my own mind about going over the middle. Have you run into it before with past teammates or, or opposing quarterbacks where you guys you'd actually go into a, uh, you know, a, a film study 
Yeah. And preparation for a game, be like, hey, this guy, he's a little afraid to go over the middle. Or no, he's not, is no. that happened? Not really? No, no, no not really. Um, so I'm probably embellishing even Minshew's lack of attacking the middle. Yeah. You know, I might be. I, I don't know. But well, I, and listen, again, I, I think mean, they didn't have tight ends. I mean, they had nothing at that position yeah. last year. That is a tight end spot. If you go back to the AFC Championship game, you watch what Tennessee did against Baltimore. You know, the, the tough Rubik's Cube that nobody could solve in the Baltimore Ravens. Well, the Tennessee Titans figured it out. And they essentially took the middle of the field away because yeah. that's where the Ravens made all their bread, right? Like, yeah, you had Hollywood Brown on the outside every once in a while doing those fly routes, but where your bread and butter was made for the Baltimore Ravens in the passing game was in the middle of the field. So the Titans took that away. So that was a game plan. Like, that was a game plan to say, you know what? If we're going to lose the Baltimore Ravens, we're going to lose on the outside, but they will not beat us in the middle of the field. And guess what? The Titans won. So every once in a blue moon, depending on what kind of offense you face, you could take away, you know, the outsides of fields or the insides. But traditionally, at least when I played, it was never about, like, taking away uh, a certain area of the field. It was just kind of about manning up and, you know, and, and just trying to stop those game wreckers, if you will. Where do you think Kansas City's most dangerous? Do you think they attack the middle? Do they attack outside? I mean, I know they got it all over the place, yeah. but... Uh, Kelsey's such a big part of their offense, so again, I think kind of middle. They've got guys that can do numerous things, Yeah. Uh, so I would think when you get ex- as many explosive plays as Kansas City does, yep. the middle of the field is, is probably a weapon for them. No, so it's funny, because I, when I talked to Matt Patricia, so Sam, so I'm at Patricia um, at the Senior Bowl, what is it now, four or five months ago, probably, yeah. whatever it was, um, and I asked him, because I remember what, distinctly during the break watching the Chiefs-Lions game, and then I watched how Detroit played Patrick Mahomes. And Detroit, you could arguably say, out of the entire NFL season, Detroit played him the best. Now, obviously, Matt Patricia, Bill Belichick guy, defensive-minded guy, I had to pick his brain a little bit. And I went up to him, because obviously I had to play, I played for Andy Reid, so I kind of get Andy Reid's personality a little bit. And I asked Matt Patricia, I'm like, how did you guys stop Patrick Mahomes? You know, like, how, how did you probably hold him to his worst game of the entire season? And he said a couple things. Number one, he's like, we, we didn't blitz Patrick Mahomes, okay? W- w- the goal was to make Patrick Mahomes feel comfortable, but not comfortable. And in doing that, when Patrick Mahomes has time, when he actually feels comfortable in the pocket, that's when he makes his mistakes. His okay, because clock starts going. Exactly. Because if his internal clock gets to, you know, four or five seconds, he starts just kind of moving around a little bit. That's when you have him. Where Patrick Mahomes is dangerous is when he feels pressure, gets on the move a little bit, and gets out of the pocket. That's where Patrick Mahomes makes all his money. So Patricia kind of found a way to kind of, I guess, corral Patrick Mahomes, make him feel comfortable, but obviously drop you know, guys back in coverage where he didn't feel comfortable. So then I asked him, well, what was the game plan in trying to stop all their weapons, right? Because you, you have Travis Kelsey, you have Tyreek Hill, you have Nicole Harvin, you have all these guys, Sammy Watkins, you know, obviously tore the Jaguars apart uh, first game of the season. And he said, listen, you're never going to stop every one of those weapons against the Kansas City Chiefs. And the way Andy Reid works is he always tries to feature one guy. So what we do is we try to find the one guy, and this is very a la Bill Belichick, very a la New England Patriots. You have to find that one guy that you think Andy Reid's going to feature, whether it's Travis Kelsey, whether it's Tyreek Hill, or somebody else. And you take that guy completely out of the ballgame, whether it's with a double team, whether it's with dropping the zone to his side, but you have to take away the top weapon, who you think is going to be the top weapon, and then you go from there. So essentially what Matt Patricia was telling me was, you don't really focus so much on the pass rush. You focus more on dropping back into coverage, making Patrick Mahomes feel a little overconfident and comfortable, and then focusing on the X factor of that game, who you think it's going to be. The problem, though, and this is what he told me, is they have so many X factors. Yeah. You got to guess, right? If you take away Travis Kelsey, well, guess what? Then Tyreek Hill eventually gets open. But the, the biggest thing that he said, too, as well, and talking about Matt Patricia, is 
We were fine with that. We understood that our secondary wasn't necessarily the best secondary in the league. But we, what we wanted to limit them to doing was taking away the big play. If you can stop the big play of the Kansas City Chiefs and try to make them play a little short ball in the red zone, you have a, a, a significant better chance of beating them. Yeah, I just think, uh, going back just a, one more thing on the middle of the field, if, you know, I think about, I think Peyton Manning, and I, I think that, that ball that he threw right over the linebacker's ear mm-hmm. yeah. to whatever type, whether it was Marcus Pollard or name your tight end, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I believe tight ends and Gronkowski and everything, that matchup problem for the, for Brady and the page, you know, Titans become such a big weapon in the game. So I think middle of the field, the Jags have to be able to have that. Uh, you know, they've got some bodies in that room. Tyler Eifert has to become that to some degree, whether it's in the red zone or any part of the field. Josh Oliver, you're really hoping he takes off here in year number two yeah. and he becomes part of this offense. It would just really help things. And then for Jay Gruden, you can use a lot of those guys in different ways once you have somebody that's reliable in the middle of the field. And I think of a guy like LaVisca Chenault. I mean, how much more dangerous does Chenault become in all the different ways you can utilize him if you can trust something out of the tight end spot and especially in the middle of the field? In my opinion, if you're trying to build an elite offense and you're trying to build a very dynamic offense that can score a lot of points, you can attack the middle of the field two ways. You can attack the middle of the field with speed and motion, or you can attack the middle of the field with physicality. When I say physicality, I'm talking about obviously like Rob Gronkowski, right? Like that guy wasn't the, the burner or fast or anything, no but guess what? If you had him one on one against a linebacker or safety, can't cover. Uh, good, 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 hey, good, good luck with that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but when you talk about a Tyree Kill, when you talk about a Hollywood Brown, they attack the middle of the field, too, but they do it with their speed because you're always going to have the advantage as a slot receiver because why? Those press corners can't line up on you, yeah. right? I mean, usually, traditionally, those flat guys, they're smaller, right? So if you get if a, if a press corner like Jalen Ramsey gets his long wingspan on you, oh, you might be screwed then, right? You, you might get thrown off your, your route a little bit, and you can't get back on track, and by that time, the ball's already out. But when you get, can line up in the slot and go into motion things, it opens a lot of things up. So when you talk about a D.D. Westbrook with the motion, when you talk about a Chenault being that physical squats over like 500-something pounds, which is ridiculous, you have opportunities there. And obviously Tyler Eifert being a bigger specimen himself and kind of athletic still, even though through all the injuries, it opens the realms for a lot of possibilities this year for yeah. Jay Gruden and, and, the, and the offense. And keep in mind, Oliver's a very athletic guy. I yeah. mean, that's what he's – he's not there to block. Mm-hmm. He's there to be that move tight end that yeah. can get down the field and be a tough matchup. Uh, all right, let's switch to uh, – I wanted to get to Tyson. Less Holyfield, but Tyson. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think he's going to do something? Will it be charity-based? Uh, and uh, I, I know we talked about earlier, you said, yeah, I'd watch. I don't know if I'd pay for it. <laughs> but take you out of the equation. Yeah. How many people would? I mean, I, I think he is one. You talk about all these people watching this documentary, Michael Jordan. Yeah. Everybody's on that Michael Jordan train again, right? Everybody's sure. like, wow, are you living it? I'm telling you what. Give Do three weeks of stories on Mike Tyson. Yeah. Show three weeks of highlights leading up to a fight on Mike Tyson. Mm-hmm. I got to believe everybody would lock, be locked in. He's one of the most fascinating characters sports has ever seen. Mm-hmm. Well, listen. You mentioned Michael Jordan, and, and you know, I mean, people are fiending for that. But what you don't remember is the Michael Jordan of the Washington Wizards. Okay, like that—that that was its own separate entity, and he still had some pretty good, you know, output there. But it almost—it almost damaged the prestige, in my opinion. Right? It, it's to me, it did. did it, number one, like seeing Michael Jordan besides a Bulls jersey, like that was weird. Number one, but number two, it's like he's not the MVP anymore. You know, like he is. Like, he's still a great player, but he's not the Michael Jordan of old, you know? And 
especially in combat sports, Brent, especially in boxing, like, listen, people will always have the memories of Mike Tyson knocking everybody out, all right, and then being the baddest man on the planet. I ask the question, if you're a Mike Tyson supporter or if you're a Vander Holyfield supporter, what does this do for their careers? Now, this is a selfish question because who cares, right? I mean, they're fighting. Let them do whatever they want to do, right? But I'm talking about the hardcore boxing fans that grew up with Tyson, that grew up with Evander Holyfield even. What does this stuff do for their careers going forward? Like, what what becomes of this? Can, like, can you turn on this Mike Tyson-Evander Holyfield fight and be like, you know what? Like, my respect has gone up tenfold now for these guys. I, I just feel like you can't do that. I'm reminded of a, a year ago, you, you probably know who Chuck Liddell is, right? You know Chuck Liddell. Mm-hmm. All right. Chuck Liddell fought Tito Ortiz in Combat Americas, I think it was. or It, it was some um, you know smaller promotion. Chuck Liddell is one of the godfathers of MMA. All right. Mount Rushmore of MMA. Tito Ortiz um, is one of the, the baddest dudes in his own right. Okay. And this is, I think, the, the third fight as well. People were excited, man. People couldn't wait. Chuck Liddell's back. Are you kidding me, man? The Mohawk? Come on. Like, the guy like put UFC kind of on the map, if you will. Well, that fight went on. And you had two guys that were, let's be honest, out of their prime, and it, it was a depressing showing. Okay, nobody won that fight. The fans, the, 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 the fans didn't win that fight. Tito Ortiz won via KO, but I don't think he really won that fight in his mind. Like nobody won that fight. So going forward now with this Mike Tyson Vander Holyfield fight, it's just who really wins out of this? Yeah, it's a good question. I just it made me think of I went back to Muhammad Ali yeah. and tried to look at his last few fights and. There's greatness with Muhammad Ali outside of the ring, too, that, that maybe this isn't the same. But actually, in some respects, it is. I mean, the, uh, Mike Tyson will, has this legendary status. Like, I don't think Michael Jordan's wizard days really take a shine off anything, yeah. especially now. I they're not going to bring it up. And I, I think you hardly remember it. I, I actually don't think Peyton Manning's last year, even though he was really not good yeah. and got carried to the Super Bowl. But the fact that they won the Super Bowl, it doesn't get... Oh, man, Peyton Manning, he looked like he was 80 years old, which he did. He looked like a bad quarterback. It was bad, yeah. Uh, You know, if Tom Brady goes out at 43 years old and really isn't good, turns in a Phillip Rivers kind of year from last year, even though he's got a good football team around him, yeah, it will be remembered to a degree, but it will be such a footnote. Yeah. You know? I... I don't know. And Tyson's different in this respect. By the way, Muhammad Ali lost his three out of his uh, last four fights. Mm-hmm. And that's not like atypical even of, of some of the big boxers. That just means he, well, he was de- toward the end. He lost to uh, Leon Spinks, which, by the way, in 15. They used to, play, they used to do the 15-rounders. Mm-hmm. Um, beat Spinks and then lost to Larry Holmes, TKO. And then the, the last one was an 81 against Trevor Burbick and uh, lost. But the last two were kind of like, ugh. It's kind of like Willie Mays' final, yeah. you know, yeah. final ride. But here's here's the thing about Tyson, I think, that might make it different. While all those guys I just mentioned may be hung on a little too long, mm-hmm. there's a there's a feeling with Tyson that we all got cheated out of some of his best years, out of what he could have been mm-hmm. long term. Uh, he had more left because of just this crazy persona that included biting off Evander Holyfield's ear, these problems with the law that resulted in prison, mm-hmm. and and this perception, at the very least, and, and maybe some of it was reality, that he had just lost it. I mean, he already was a little bit You're right. crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. and had just lost it. Mm-hmm. So, I think the sports fan almost feels like, man, could have got a couple more years out of that mic that I saw just knocking people out. 
Mm-hmm. He was young enough still at that time to get those, but he almost cheated himself and in turn cheated the, everybody else. That's why I wonder if he'd be more welcome back. And, and, and oh, by the way, he looks freaking amazing in the videos they keep but, pushing but out. Both of them do. Uh, Van der looks really good, too. I mean, you're right, but if, I, I don't know, man. Like, listen... Because I, I hate doing this. I hate saying that he shouldn't fight because he, he's a fighter, man. It's Mike Tyson. I'm not going to tell Mike Tyson anything. Yeah, I will. I Mike, certainly won't. Tell okay, him. yeah, exactly. So Mike Tyson can do whatever he wants. Um, and if this is for charity, how how, how 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 can you knock it? You know, how can you how can you hate on that, man? It's going for a good cause. So I just I just know the damage that one could take in a boxing match, right? And I said all the time, the, the, you think UFC is barbaric? Try getting punched a hundred times in a boxing match and talk to me and talk to me how you feel the next day. And then try being 50 years old or 50 plus and then talk to me the next day and see how you feel about it. Okay. So with that being said, I mean, did we miss something with Mike Tyson? Absolutely. But you have to accept the fact that regardless of how he looks hitting mitts and he looks sensational, man, the guy looks like he's still got it. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the Mike Tyson of old. Okay. So even if Mike Tyson comes out, knocks out Evander Holyfield in two minutes, fantastic. I mean, that's great. But it's not going to be like, oh, that, that's what we've been missing. Like that, like, is that going to fill the void that you lost with Mike Tyson? Yeah. I have a hard time to say it is. You know, you know what's interesting about Tyson? Tyson, in a lot of ways, to me, reminds me of John Daly. Okay. That's a weird yeah, comparison, yeah, yeah. right? a little bit. But it also shows you how sick we are of a society, in a sense. We like to see this stuff. It looks like we're watching a real-life fictional movie. Yeah. We're like, are you really crazy enough to do that, to act like that, yeah. to go through these ups and downs in your life? Like, I get to watch you do that? Yeah. Like, thank you. Thanks for the entertainment. It's it's almost weird, mm-hmm. right? And, and then we feel bad and all those kind of things. But those are like... Those are two examples that we love those guys in this weird way because they are willing to kind of put it out there and do things that we really wouldn't be willing to do, but we get to watch. No, for sure. And, <laughs> you know, we talk about watching it. I guess if you're a boxing fan, if you're an MMA fan, you're a selfish person, right? And when I say I'm selfish, I mean I have this preconceived notion of who Mike Tyson is, the baddest man on the planet, and I don't want to see him fight somebody else and kind of lose that stigma a little bit. Not saying that's how it is, but that's me being selfish. That's me being a selfish combat sports but imagine if he knocks somebody into the first row how cool would that be (laughs) here for it all right uh, we come back on espn 690 we continue to celebrate jacksonville armada day so remember joins us next espn 690 as far as the install packages i've just been mostly mostly on paper and on the on the ipads i i just go to the field to run Uh, there's a nice park here close that it's easy to get to so being able to just stay in shape and and running and cutting and doing those types of things. Hello. Hi. Your dog was in my yard. Oh my god. Hang on one one second. My dogs got out of the yard and they're down the street. I'll be right back. All right. Yeah, they're back. And I got a little little conditioning in too. <laughs> That's Tyler Eifert during the call with the media today. These Zoom calls are real life, man. Oh yeah. Gotta go take care of the dog. Yeah. I bet there will be some great outtakes from the Zoom calls. There probably already are. I Maybe yeah. I just haven't found them. But uh, maybe you forget to do some things. Maybe you put your shirt on backwards. Oh, maybe I mean, the, the hair, you forgot to comb. Maybe whatever it might be. My favorite one of all time, I think that was more of a Skype thing, because this happened like, man, probably like five or six years ago now. You remember Brian Wilson? Oh, yeah, from yeah. From the picture? Uh, San you, Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Do, you, do you know the Brian Wilson machine story or not? 
I don't so, think so. So Brian Wilson was doing uh, an interview live um, with like a San Francisco-based uh, TV station, right? So they're doing a live interview. Um, he's Skyping and everything like that. And all of a sudden in the background, <laughs> you see a guy rocking just like a thong, like a black thong, and then like a, like an executioner's mask, and then like a belt around like his chest or whatever, and like you know the the, the news anchor's like, uh, Brian, what's going on there? He's like, oh that guy, that guy's just a machine. He he was coming to borrow sugar, and like so he, he played off like nothing was going on, man. It was epic. So whenever you get a chance, check out Brian Wilson. Uh, the machine should be on there. I'll have to do it. Oh uh, yeah. Speaking of machines, we welcome in Action Sports Jack Stewart Weber right now to ESPN six ninety. Former, I think former, maybe still current or sometime down the road, yeah. voice of the Jacksonville Armada on the radio side. What's up, man? In what way does that segue work? That I'm a machine. I don't, I don't understand where where that segue came from, but I'll, I'll take it. How, how's it going? I'm, I'm doing good. Hey, I think you'd want to be a machine, editing machine, producing machine, re- working remotely, machine. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. We're just going yeah, machine like, like. machine. Sounds, sounds like the machine wants to be turned off right now. I would say machine like is uh is is very complimentary. It's not in sports. Mm, no, in sports, okay. <laughs> Uh, okay. Wait, wait, we'll buddy, go with it. Buddy just called and said Pat Burrell was in the background. Burrell? Yeah. That's who it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, Former Philly? Yep, exactly. Well, so he was Philly. He was at, in San Francisco at that time. Uh, must, must have been. been. Yeah, he was for a short time. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I got it now. Yeah. I'm putting it all together. Yeah. Weber, I don't think I've seen you, like, in person since the draft. Yeah, and before that, another month probably. This is outstanding. I mean, we spent enough time together <laughs> in the uh, football season. Is it kind of refreshing for you, bro? Is I, that I, think for, I think for the spikes, I think some people do miss that, right? That, sure. that in the office and walking down the halls, and mm-hmm. I get it. Like, I, but I think really for our sports department, we do spend a lot of time together. Okay. From like August to whenever March. Yeah. I don't miss these guys at all. Cool. I mean, I was going to say I miss everybody, but, yeah, we can go the opposite way with that, too. Hey, 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 don't put me in the category, man. I miss you. I haven't seen you in forever, either. Come on, man. I mean, I don't miss Coos, but I do miss you, Austin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I got to deal with them every single day, so. Just uh, just Mm -hmm. keeping it real. Uh, Hey, uh, we're celebrating the Jacksonville Armada. You know a lot about the Armada. You called a bunch of their matches, uh, but they've been on pause even before the pandemic, uh, so to speak. How much do you think uh, that core of the Armada fan base that Section 904 uh, is still kind of, I, I don't know about thirsting is the right word, I want to over-dramatize it, but kind of can't wait until whatever is settled gets settled, and so they can go to matches again and root for the Jackson Armada franchise. Yeah, I think thirsting thirsting might be the right word for it, uh, to be honest with you. And, you know, a couple months ago when they had their anniversary party, they, they did a little celebration for the fact that, you know, I however many years it was that the Armada has existed, Section 904 all got together, and I was able to drop by there for a little bit. They got together at a local brewery, and, you know, there's a solid 30 to 50 people, this core group that, you know, is very much still there. They they love the game of soccer, and they love supporting this team through thick and thin, and certainly Section 904 is going to be there whenever this team comes back, and then from there you have to build out, and, that's the thing. I mean, the longer this goes on, the more it's going to be, hey, whenever this gets restarted, we're going to start with that 30 to 50 extreme fan group that's really hardcore group that's in it, you know, in the long run, and then build out with all the casuals and, and try and, you know, support more people to that that cause. So, 
yeah, it's certainly a work in progress. And to kind of answer your question from earlier, uh, yes, I did call the radio broadcast for the first, I want to say, three years when it was in the NASL. And I was actually going to call the games again this year. So I'm a little bummed that the NPSL season got uh, wiped out because that would have been a lot of fun to be able to be on the microphone again and, and call those games. Stuart, when you talk about soccer, you, t- you talk about the fan bases, right? And now that the you know the Armada haven't played in a couple of years, I mean, is this only going to, I guess, increase the fan base, if you will? Because I want you to follow me along here quick. Because keep in mind, I mean, there hasn't been soccer on Jacksonville for a while. So, like, are people craving that? Or will their fan base be hurting now because they haven't had season by season by season? There has been that delay. So maybe the, the fan base drops down a little bit. I think it's the latter. I think it drops down a little bit, and it's going to be the job of the team. And Nathan Walter, I know, is going to have a great plan for it as far as building that back up because uh, to say people are thirsting for it, I mean, people are thirsting for all sports right now, and that's the real shame in this whole thing is that when we start to get sports back again, we're still going to be waiting for this soccer team and for the Armada to be able to take the field again. And you're not going to be able to capitalize on that you know, desire that hunger for, for sports. Uh, so it, it certainly will be an effort, and it, it's going to be a lot about promotion, a lot about uh, bringing in the different youth groups, and I think that's largely one of the things that motivated the, the move recently to uh, no longer be affiliated with the Youth Academy in order to branch out and bring in the Clay County Soccer Academy, bring in the Florida Elites, bring in what is now Jacksonville FC, and to be able to get all those different youth organizations to come support the team. Yeah, it's a sensible move uh, on a lot of different levels. Stuart Weber with us uh, on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. We're celebrating the Jacksonville Armada, celebrating local sports uh, here as we've done over the last couple of months and will continue to do uh, with these special days for for some of the franchises. And today it's the Armada. Uh, this The patience that they have here is is really, I think, something you have to commend because they're trying to do it the right way. The stadium will make a big difference. Uh, everything Nathan Walter said about that makes a lot of sense. And then they can find a home in terms of a league. I think the easy thing here would have been to just fold the tent and say we're out, right? And so many teams have done that in the volatility that is lower league soccer in the United States. And that's really been a big problem is that you'll get these teams with, with this instability and they'll come around for two, maybe three years, and then poof, they're gone. And you don't know where they went. Uh, but it's it's important to have the long-term plans, the stability, and the and the ability to stick. And, yes, I, I think a stadium is going to play a huge role in that, but even more so than that is getting it right when it comes to what league you're going to choose and what league you're going to join. And I know the fans are going to support the team no matter what league they play in, but let's be honest, they, they need to make the right decision here and get into the correct league because it didn't work when they joined the NASL. And there were options at the time. Do you join the NASL? Do you join the USL? And so they joined the NASL and the NASL folded. So you can't make that mistake twice and choose the wrong league when you're finding out where you're going to play your games. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, What do you think that stadium, and we've talked to Nathan Walter about the stadium. I remember having him on, I want to say, last summer, talking about the stadium, and there was a lot of excitement and hope for that. How much do you think that's needed in Jacksonville? Uh, not just for the Armada survival and and sustainability, but from you know we're in a world and and we live this uh, with our kids, but the travel ball and and events and it brings it's a huge money maker for cities for mm-hmm. where, wherever you are whether you're in Newberry out near Gainesville or if you're down 
uh, in Sanford. You know, they've got these huge complexes, but it brings people to stay in hotels. It brings people to buy dinner and, and all that stuff really is an economic boom. How much do you think this stadium is needed in Jacksonville from uh, in terms of how much this the place will fit, how much you could bring some higher level and even youth level events and therefore create maybe some dollars uh, here in the city? Yeah, that's a tough question to answer, obviously, but I think I think the real challenge there is that in building this stadium, you're you're giving yourself this centerpiece, this this main event, so to speak, a, a big stadium, a big place in downtown Jacksonville, and that's a huge draw, obviously, is that you want to have stuff downtown, even though our downtown clearly needs work in the city of Jacksonville, and obviously city leaders are working on that. But the problem with what you're saying is that all the big fields, all the other fields, the open area, that's still a patent park, uh, you know, off of Hodges and, and Beach in that area. Uh, so in order to host some of these big, giant events, which is what the now Jacksonville FC will continue to do moving forward, it's going to be a challenge. Now, do you get that partnership with the Armada and Jacksonville FC again moving forward or even with Florida Elite down in St. John's County as far as being able to, hey, you host these huge tournaments at your fields, but then have your championship games right here at the stadium, the crown jewel of soccer in Jacksonville where the fans can come and you can really enjoy it. I mean, that's, that's the way you want that to go, simply because that, you know, you're not going to have the space to have all these practice fields. And, heck, even once they build that stadium, depending on whether they go grass or artificial, I imagine they go grass because, God help me if they didn't. Uh, you know, you, where are you going to practice at? you got to practice on that grass field that you want to play on, or are you going to find a place to build another one? Because you're talking space limitations when you build a stadium downtown. Yeah, that's a really good point, and that's a good clarification, too. It's not really a complex, but you mm-hmm. could have, like, the championship games, or you could even entertain the idea of maybe the high school state championships in the, in the state of Florida or something like that. Now, there'll be, there's a lot of competition for stuff like that. Uh, where are those right now? Is, where's the soccer? Is that in Sarasota? Uh, where was it last year? Lakeland Vero, somewhere down in the middle of the state is where they had it. Yeah. The past couple of years. Now, the, the one thing too, I mean, I think it would be a great venue to be able to host state championships for, for soccer, but you can also talk about hosting state championships for football. I mean, you, you look at what they've done with the small classifications last year, you held them in Tallahassee. I mean, you know, I mean, and, and that's a small stadium and it's out in the panhandle. Jacksonville would make a lot more sense to be able to host. You just you don't have a venue for it right now that makes sense in size. And if you have a five thousand seater, I mean that's the perfect venue to host high school state championships yeah, and make it feel big, lower yeah. class football. Yeah, yeah. that's true. So. But Stuart, in terms of you know artificial turf or grass, though, I mean, wouldn't you think artificial turf would make a lot more sense if you're hosting these football games? Um, you know, maybe like some lacrosse games, things like that, as opposed to grass where the field can get chewed up. And we talk about grass and artificial turf. Like, how many professional soccer teams have artificial grass compared to you know just grass in general? Too many. Okay. The, the game plays differently on the fake stuff, on the artificial turf. You, you can't wet it like you do a, a real grass pitch, you know. Uh, it, it's, it's a different feel, a different type of game. As, as much as they, they want to try and perfect these fields and, and use this artificial turf, because like you said, I mean, durability, it makes a whole lot more sense to do that. But the game, the game of soccer is meant to be played on real grass, and we live in Florida for Pete's sake. We don't need artificial turf down here, uh, you know. Uh, that's my personal opinion and the opinion of many soccer purists and players. 
as well. Yeah, well, and that is true from a purist point of view, from a maintenance point of view. <laughs> that's yeah. why a lot of people have gone with the turf, especially yeah. if you're going to put a lot of things on that and a lot of events. just depends how much play. But you're going to build a place sure. downtown. You want some play. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, don't want just 15 yeah. matches on it. You don't want 15 events here. You need events. So you want to have people occupying that building. If it's RP funding that's funding it or most of it well they want to draw some more money in by attracting other events and and people being able to pay to play on it so and, that well, and i think sense. part part of the original plan from rp funding if i'm recalling correctly and i thought it was a great part of the plan was the fact that the new rp funding business offices yes. would be part of that stadium structure and that's that's a huge important thing to do and and you know a very big part of it is that you're using this facility for your offices as well as it's a uh, a stadium facility, and it makes me think of, you know, one of the historic stadiums up in Charleston, South Carolina. They've had a, a lower division soccer team for 20, 30 years now, the Charleston Battery, and they have been this model of success when it comes to a team that has persevered through the anarchy that is lower league soccer because they've had their own stadium. Uh, it was one of the first soccer-specific stadiums in the country, if I recall correctly, in the early to mid-'90s. And the cool thing was it had a pub in it, and it had a, you know, like a soccer museum in it with all the stuff that was in there. So, like, you, you were able to use it for this other stuff even when the games weren't going on. Yeah, and I think that still is the plan for Robert Palmer, by the way, to do that and make it a, a, a multifunctional uh, building, you know, and structure uh, to do. Hey, uh, Stuart Weber's our soccer expert. And NASCAR expert. Mm. We kind of just leave it to him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I it. don't touch him, man. Yeah, we yeah. hardly touch it. Just set and forget I am the one guy. I'm the one guy in that Venn diagram of life, is what I like to say. <laughs> you probably are. but I'm uh, the dot that connects those two circles. And we appreciate that. Uh, and especially right now, because just a quick note or two, NASCAR is getting fired up again here this weekend for a lot of racing over the next couple of weeks. Uh, what's the latest? Are you looking forward to it? Will it work? Uh, do you like the precautions they've put in place? Just some overall thoughts on NASCAR getting rolling here this weekend. Yeah, and today they released even further, more of the schedule all the way through late June. Uh, so they've they've started to roll out all these races and, across the southeast. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's an exciting thing for, for fans and for sports fans who are craving that stuff. So hopefully NASCAR can capitalize on it and, uh, you know, I was listening to an interview on the Dale Jr. Download earlier today about just how important it was for NASCAR to get this thing going quickly because they're able to connect with Fox and NBC and, and secure those prime broadcast spots not only now but especially in the fall when that calendar is going to be so crowded and it, it's going to be insane trying to figure out what's on when and, you know, watch all the sports that you want to watch. But, yeah, so NASCAR gets it started this Sunday up at Darlington. I got to go to that race last year. The race at Darlington, a great old track, and it's going to be it's going to be pretty wild because they're they're doing a one day race type idea. No practice, no qualifying. They're actually doing the qualifying draw tonight, uh, which is interesting. But uh, the first live lap that racers are going to take once they get to the track is going to be lap one of the race, <laughs> which is already insane. But how about this? You consider it for a guy like Matt Kenseth who's now going to be driving the number 42 car, formerly ridden by Kyle Larson, his first lap in like two years in NASCAR is going to be a live lap at Darlington, the track too tough to tame, and he's going to take it into turn one at full speed without any testing or practice or qualify. Now that is fascinating, that part of it. Uh, you know, uh, One last thing, we've got a minute to go before we sure. get out of here. The, the 
will NASCAR this kind of makes sense, right? Them coming back. I mean, golf is coming back soon. You can you can be socially distant. UFC comes sure. back. They have like seventy five camps over three of these fight cards here in eight days in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. That's not an enormous amount of people. You can do NASCAR. There's one guy in a car. Obviously they have their pit teams, but they can pull this off, right? Without without too much um in terms of the the new norm uh getting impacted yeah and honestly i kind of feel like this could have been something that they would have been able to do throughout this entire crisis but you you never planned for it right yeah you don't you don't know that it's coming you can't put those safeguards in place and come up with that plan right on the spot because it, it is a socially distant thing i mean the entire crew is in a full body suit and with a mask on i mean they already have that that's how it is it's just a matter of social distancing within the garages and not having that interaction with other people. So it's interesting because they're not going to do like the COVID testing that, say, UFC has done. They're just going to have everybody show up, everybody stay apart, do the race, and then go home and you know use up minimal resources, not take up people's time that should be focused on other stuff, uh, with the exception probably in an ambulance or two that's probably going to have to be at the track. So I think it makes perfect sense for NASCAR to be one of those sports that's able to get out there and do that. Now, soccer, when we're talking about the Armada, I mean, the Bundesliga in Germany is getting started again this weekend. And it's doing it with no fans, just hoping, praying that, you know, none of these players come down with it and spread it to all the other players. But soccer, it's it's a lot more difficult to be able to control that. Absolutely. The team sports, from the understanding around the country here in the United States, there's a lot of eyes on that starting up this weekend to see how that goes because that's the first team sport that's kind of get getting back yeah. at it. You know, So it'll be really interesting, and we'll see what happens with NASCAR this weekend. Stuart Weber, good to talk to you, man. Maybe we'll see you down the road sometime, at, at least probably by the fall. Yeah, I'll pop into the studio at some point, and you know, maybe my card will work. Still, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Mine Austin's doesn't. doesn't. So, yeah. I have to let him in every day. Take it, take it for how you want it. And man. you know what? Hopefully, he doesn't need much show prep because I let him in at like three oh one. You, you know, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for jumping on, man. Appreciate it. Oh, uh, you got it, guys. That's Stuart Weber. Follow him at Stuart AS Jax. He knows that soccer stuff and NASCAR. He's a big fan. I like it. <laughs> Our expert on it. NASCAR gets rolling this weekend. I wonder if. Yeah, listen, they spent a lot of money in NASCAR to pull that all that all that off. I wonder if squeezing it down to the way they're doing it yeah. might make more sense long term. We'll see how it goes uh, this weekend. Is there anything better than the, the, the track that's too tough to tame? Nah, or, it's pretty good, right? Oh, man. They do have some great names at some of the tracks. Yeah. They're really good. Yeah. All right, uh, we'll be back on ESPN 690. Fox is going to try something with no fans if the NFL doesn't allow them. Do you like it or not? Mm. Next on ESPN 690. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.